You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. Before we get started, we want to let you know that Life Group signups are open. Head on over to wordoflifeag.org and click on Life Groups to get yourself signed up. All right, let's dive into the message. This week, Pastor Tom brought us a message titled, God the Creator. Let's check it out. Well, good morning, Word of Life. It is wonderful to come and be able to hang out with everybody. Welcome to everybody that's a part of Church Online today. As you would have seen in the video just a moment ago, we have life groups. They're starting. Uh, we are able to take signups today. Um, one thing I can guarantee, there is a group for you. Go on the website, find all the different times groups are meeting. Uh, it will be great to have you a part of the group. So as was mentioned in the video, we're having a special focus on a summer series that we can be kicking off in a couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at seven times in John's Gospel. Jesus says, I am, and then goes on to share and teach about an aspect of his character and who he is. And we're going to look into how that can be helpful for us today. Um, and the fun bit is, and this is Megan's favorite, is he says it seven times, and we've made it into a nine-week series. Yeah. That's the kind of thing Megan really goes for. Anyway. So uh, there is definitely a group for you, so I highly encourage anyone here to sign up. I do just want to make sure everyone knows um, my parents are visiting from the UK. Um, Okay, they're not that good, calm down. But they are here visiting. Uh, Someone said to me earlier, I could tell who your parents were, they looked British. (laughs) I don't know what that means. But they are here visiting, and it was amazing. Uh, you may say this to your kids, or your parents may have said this to you when you were a kid. Um, I was always told as a kid that when you grow up and you have your own house, I'm going to come over, and I'm going to start making a big mess. I'm going to leave my laundry everywhere. I'm not going to wash any dishes. I'm not going to put any stuff away. I did not expect them to come true on that promise. <laughs> my house has been turned upside down, so they have well and truly got their revenge. But anyway, well, glad you're able to come and be here today. And I did want to start off before getting into the message. It's, uh, it's somewhat of a coincidence. It's completely incidental. It's certainly not planned for me. But the message that I'm going to share today uh, speaks directly to the Supreme Court decision that happened a few weeks ago, or maybe not speaks directly to, but it's certainly there is overlap. And I think it would be, um, I think it's weighing heavy on our minds. It's certainly weighing heavy on our culture. So I think it's appropriate that I share a few thoughts around this before getting into the message today. So I'm going to read this, and uh, I hope it comes across with the intention and the spirit that it was written. But as a church, we are deliberately and willfully non-political. The decisions this week from the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade shouldn't be a political issue. Rather, this is a moral and ethical concern. I'm sure... I'm sure we've all seen that there is a lot of emotions around the Supreme Court decision from Friday, which will return the legal questions around abortion to the individual states, rather than abortions being protected and legal at a federal level. While the Assemblies of God, Word of Life, and me as an individual are all pro-life, we also know that abortion is an extremely difficult and painful topic for many people for a variety of reasons. It's a deeply sensitive subject that shouldn't be reduced to quick sound bites or gotcha-style arguments. It's imperative that we don't become pro-life in word only because talk is cheap, but also pro-life in deeds and actions. It was just last week we collected baby bottles filled with change, and I'm sure a few notes, to support New Hope Family Services, a local crisis pregnancy center. 
We will continue to support their wonderful work as they help parents and babies that may be having a difficult time during pregnancy or raising young children. I would also ask that as we hold a pro-life position, we are prepared to help where we can. If you know a family that is struggling, find a way to help. Picking up an extra box of baby wipes goes a long way. Find out ways to help our neighbors. Support and encourage people who are going through the adoption process. Ask how we can assist people who are becoming foster parents or continue financially supporting New Hope or other crisis pregnancy centers. We're also pleased to have someone in our church who will meet with anyone who has had an abortion and may be fighting through guilt and shame and secrecy. We want to help these people find freedom in Jesus also. All this to say, we are not pro-life in name only. We are not pro-life because of a political affiliation. We are pro-life because we believe it reflects the heart of God towards precious babies. We are also not pro-life in name only, but also in deeds. We are committed to helping mothers know and trust that carrying their baby to term is the easy choice by offering help as a church, by resourcing existing organizations that we trust, and as individuals by actively looking for ways to be a good neighbor. We will continue to support Christine as she sensitively leads people through forgiven and set free. This Supreme Court decision will spur us to love our neighbors, not give us stones to throw at those with whom we disagree. As always, as always, the love and grace modeled by Jesus is what we will all strive for. Amen, amen. So of course this gives us lots to pray for and uh, I'm sure that we will continue to pray and also be active indeed in the coming weeks, months and beyond as we seek to be pro-life, as I've mentioned many times, not just in word but also in deed, amen? Amen. Well, I wanted to share with you in the message, and you'll see how this uh, overlaps in a few moments, but the message I want to share with you is uh, really born out of something that's been on my mind for a while, and I finally had a chance to put my thoughts down on paper and hopefully bring something helpful for everyone today. I have a, a strange habit that I've fallen into in that every few years or so, my interest will be piqued by uh, the study of apologetics. Now, when I say the study of apologetics, it's an unusual word. It's really used, and it has nothing to do with an apology as in saying sorry, but it's really a field of study and something that um, people are far more intelligent than I will spend their lives trying to come up with uh, arguments for Christianity. They will start to come up with arguments why the Bible may be accurate or be helpful or the relevance of the church and all these kind of things. But it's really this idea of there is a field of study which scholars and academics and people will give their lives to and study to so that they can share something so they can be a defense of the faith. And every few years or so, something will pique my interest and I'll dive head first into hearing from apologetics and I'll read a few books, most of which goes way over my head, but it makes me feel good anyway. And I'll try and get into this stuff. And one of the things that I'll start to do is I'll watch some debates that happen between Christian apologists and secular atheists that are ardently fighting to make sure Christianity is ridiculed, put down, and undermined. People that are angry at God, angry at religion, people that desperately want to undermine things of the faith and convince people to walk away from their faith. And I've listened to these arguments as the atheists and then the apologists will debate back and forth. And one thing that I found interesting is I was listening to one of the atheists one time saying something. And they were asked the question of, you know, what is it that gives you the biggest cause for pause? What is the, the of all the things that you guys will talk through, of all the different arguments that you have, whether it's something logical or philosophical or historical, ethical, all the different things that you will argue back and forth, what's the one thing that gives you the most reason to stop 
and wonder if you're on the right track. And from their words, what they said is the issue of creation. That was what the atheist said. This is not my opinion. This is me telling you. These are the people, the angriest people at God, the people that hate the church the most. They will say the element that gives them most reason to stop, wonder, ask questions, really weigh up if they're being accurate, is the issue of there being a creator. That the universe, that the planet we live on didn't just come by happenstance. That is what gives them the most reason to pause, to question that perhaps they're wrong about the existence of God, and that is creation. It appears in many ways like an intelligent designer was behind it all, that the odds of creation just happening by happenstance isn't a satisfactory explanation, that there's no theory that presents a true proposal for the origins of the universe. Even the strongest secular proponents of the Big Bang Theory haven't proposed what was prior or how it was caused. God as a creator is a cornerstone, key elementary Christian doctrine. Belief in God as the one and only creator of all creation is a foundational belief. That the universe, all of nature, all of creation, every animal, all of space, natural laws, gravity, everything was created by him. It's a very basic belief that it was the God of the Bible who created everything. And he was not created. He always was. And we're here because he is a creator. And despite this being such a core principle and such a big deal, it's surprisingly easy to forget. And this thought comes up of forgetting God as the creator multiple times repeatedly through the Bible. I want to share a few of these instances with you. First one's from the book of Ecclesiastes, towards the end of the book, chapter 12, verse 1. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. Book of Isaiah 51. I, yes, I, this is God talking, I'm the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? Yet you have forgotten the Lord your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. And this is into the New Testament as Paul's writing to the church in Rome. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did violent, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So Ecclesiastes warns that the excitement of youth, being consumed with life, that causes us to forget the creator. Isaiah, he describes people living in fear while they're looking at the threats around them. And they're facing things, they're facing people up against them, and that has caused them to forget the Lord their creator. Paul to the Romans is describing the devastation and sin and idolatry that comes when people stop seeing God as their creator. Now God being a creator isn't the only description we have about God in the Bible, but it is an important one, that there's a creator behind all of this. And I would say it's impossible to have a right perspective in life without having our eyes focused on the creator. I want to look at a verse from the book of Nehemiah, and if there's a key text from today, I would say this is it. And this really launches us into the rest of the message. But this is from the book of Nehemiah, which is a book in the Old Testament. And it was written in a time when the Old Testament people were refocusing. 
The people at God had been suffering the consequences of abandoning their faith in him, and they're starting to turn it all around. And this is a key point in Jewish history. And what we're going to read is part of a longer public prayer that reviews some of the central moments of the Old Testament. Reviews some of the story of people's relationship with God and God's faithfulness to his promises. And what we're going to read, this is how it starts. This is the beginning of a prayer that is shared to this nation, turning it all around, returning to their faith in God. There's a call to change and to transform. And the first thing that people are called to do is to keep sight of the Lord their God, the creator. This is the beginning of this prayer. Nehemiah 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all, and the angels of heaven worship you. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the creator of it all. Remembering God as creator was the first thing the Old Testament people of God were told to do as they began restoring their faith relationship with him. The prayer that is said by these people, it goes on to talk about the Red Sea parting. It goes on to talk about the Ten Commandments and manna from heaven, Israel's sin and doubt in the wilderness, Joshua's military victories, the Israelites, Israelites entering the promised land. But before that, first things first, the people praying knew that they needed to remember God, their creator. It goes on to say, you preserve them all. You preserve them all. Creation wasn't a one-time act that God has now stepped away from but rather something he set in motion and is now lovingly tending to. Keep looking to God, the creator and everything. He's involved in this. He's involved in our world. He's working. He's active. They needed to remember this, and we likewise shouldn't forget. A strong perspective comes from fixing our eyes on the creator. A strong perspective comes from fixing our eyes on the creator. And there's three words that they taught us in Bible college that I have yet to find a way to work this into everyday conversation. Omniscient, omnipresent, and uh, omnipotent. If I had found a way to work it into conversation, it would have been embarrassing because I can't say it. (laughs) But these three words, roughly translated, is that God is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. It's three ways of describing God's unique power and authority. There's no other that can describe themselves as being all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. Just God and God alone. And this is demonstrated by God in his role as a creator, that no one else could have done this. There is no angel, there is no demon, priest, prophet, king, or idol that could create something from nothing. There is no one whose words are enough to bring substance to nothing. And this idea of nothing, I've shared this with the church before a number of months ago, but this idea of nothing really sort of blew my mind. I was listening to a podcast by a guy called William Lane Craig. He would describe himself as a Christian philosopher. And this idea of creation came up and this idea of what was prior to creation. And so you then start digging into this idea of well, what is nothing? Because if I had a blank canvas up here and I said, what's on this canvas? We'd say nothing, but it's not quite an accurate description of what happened prior to creation because a blank canvas means there's the potential for something. If we were to look at an empty lot of land and we were to say, what's on here? We would say, there's no building, there's no structure, there's nothing. But there's the potential for something. Whereas prior to creation, there wasn't even anything to describe a potential for something. There was no blank canvas. There was no empty lot to build on. There truly was nothing. I, for one, can't wrap my head around that. But God and God alone was able to speak into the nothing and bring about creation. Creation. 
Now, I've heard a lot of arguments among Bible-believing Christians about whether the creation account in Genesis 1 is to be read literally as a day-by-day account of how God created the universe in six days and then rested, or whether it's intended to be read as a poetic illustration conveying truth about God's power, contrasting him to the religious views of other ancient people, but not intending to give definitive details. Now, personally, I've settled that a six-day creation appears to be what the other biblical authors that are writing portions of the Bible hundreds of years after Genesis, they appear to believe that the world was literally created in six days. So I just leave it there. But I've never worried too much about this argument. I've never concerned myself with getting into this debate because the most important lesson is not the how, but the who. And if someone agrees that it was the God of the Bible that created the whole of creation by speaking it into existence, I can lock arms with them in solidarity. God is the only one who is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. That wasn't another being, another deity, or a mythical figure that created everything. It was God and God alone. God was not created as a part of creation. He has eternally existed prior to creation. He is not limited by creation. God, unlike you and I, and unlike every other created thing, is not confined to time or space. As creator, the only constraints or limitations that God has is that he is always consistently true to his character. God's only limitations are the self-governed limitations he displays while he is being consistent and faithful to his own character. For instance, the Bible says that God cannot lie because that is inconsistent with his character. Otherwise, there are no limitations, no constraints on God. He is not limited to creation. If someone gets these truths from the creation story, I believe that is their primary purpose. Could God have done this over millions or billions of years? If he wanted to. Could he have done it in less than six days if he wanted to? I'm comfortable with a six-day creation, as I said, because it appears what the later biblical authors understand as what happened. But, my friends, the most important thing is that the whole universe is only here because the Lord God Almighty created everything, and he is the only one who could create anything from nothing. Now, if you ever wish to be reminded of God's wonder, a simple Google search of amazing facts about creation will absolutely inspire you all day long. I did this this week. This took me just a few minutes. And what I found, I got some useless trivia here for you. The human eye can distinguish around 10 million different colors. Now, I'm colorblind, so I still think I got about 6 million, but that's still pretty good. I found out this week there's a species of snake that's pink, and it only lives in the Grand Canyon and it blends perfectly into the pink or red colored rocks. Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe is the largest waterfall in the world, and 287,000 gallons of water flow every second. Anyone else love mosquitoes? Found out this week there are 2,700 species of mosquito. We can praise God for that or not. The moon is perfectly placed where it is, so perfect that it's believed that if it moved just slightly, the earth would tilt off balance and become uninhabitable. The Mariana Trench is the deepest part of the ocean, it's just east of the Philippines, and it's deeper than the tallest mountains on land. It has all kinds of creatures down there that we have no idea about because we have no idea of getting there. That was just a few minutes of getting on Google and searching, finding out the wonder of creation, 
just how remarkable it all is. It really is unbelievable that the Lord God Almighty was able to do this, that he has done this. And I believe as we look to creation, we don't worship creation, we don't make idolatry out of creation, which is what Paul was warning people about, but it does help us get to see how incredible God is by looking at just how wonderful his creation is. It was, um, it was a number of years ago now, I think it was when, right around the time Megan and I were getting married, uh, a pastor from Atlanta, Georgia, by the name of Louis Giglio, he's very popular, very well-known, I'm sure a number of you are very familiar with uh, some, you know, some of the ministry that he's been a part of. He did a series of talks where he taught the country and even the world, we saw it in Australia, so he certainly took it all over the world, and he did a talk called Indescribable. Some of you may have seen it. It was really popular when it first came out, and essentially this pastor goes through a, a number of interesting facts, a number of, uh, you know, great illustrations of how big the universe is. And as part of this talk, he shows pictures from, uh, you know, the Hubble Space Station, and he takes pictures of all over the known universe of different constellations and different galaxies and planets and different stars, and he finds a way of finding a way to, to be able to give perspective on just how big one star is compared to the sun that we have in our solar system. And, you know, there's all these things to talk about how small the earth is in relation to all the rest of the universe. And the whole point of his message is, look how big the universe is. And then this little speck over here, that's our planet. In relation and in proportion to the whole of creation, our planet is a speck that you cannot even see. You cannot even see our planet as a speck within a broader look at just our galaxy. If you take another step away from that, our galaxy is a speck within the known universe. And if our planet is just a speck within a speck, how important, how big, how significant is your life and my life in the grand scheme of things? And this pastor, Louis Giglio, does a wonderful job of building it up and building it up and building it up and building it up to his crescendo where he says, and yet the most amazing thing that God has done is this. And it cuts to a picture of Jesus on the cross. And the whole point of this talk, and it's wonderful, it's, I believe it's on YouTube, if you have some time to check it out, you will be blessed. But the whole point of this talk is look how vast the universe is. Look how big God is. Look at his hand as he's created all of space, all of the universe. And yet the deepest thing in his heart is to restore the relationship with you and me. If one person claps, we all have to. That reminded me of this verse this week. Matthew 10, starting verse 29. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now again, I got on Google this week. Google's been real useful this week, but that's another thing. I was able to find out that on average, the average person has 100,000 hairs on their head. So if we stacked those 100,000 hairs on top of each other, that would be around 10 feet. Again, Google helped me out, because a human hair is 0.03 millimeters. So you stack enough of them on top of each other, you get to 10 feet per person. So then I calculated, this took way longer than it should have, by the way, for me to figure this out. There's 7.95 billion people on the planet, which means how many hairs are on how many heads? 
795 trillion. Now again, I got the calculator out, and I was able to figure out that that is 14,819,703 miles of human hair, just from the head. Or that translates to the moon and back 31 times. All this to say, if God knows the hairs on each and every one of our heads, and they are all numbered, doesn't that point out just how deeply cared for you are? Doesn't that point out just how wonderful he is? You and I can't wrap our heads around that. And yet we are told this is how much God loves us. This is what Jesus used as an illustration to communicate to people. This is how much you are loved by the heavenly father. In the creation story back in Genesis, we read that people were the final piece of creation, the pinnacle of all that God had made. It was declared that humans, people, would be made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation bears his image. The Bible Project, if you're interested on YouTube, has a great video on the image of God. I highly recommend taking seven minutes or so and checking that out. But being made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we have equal status with God or that we have equal power to God, but it means that some of his qualities can be seen and observed in humanity. Kindness and empathy, generosity and patience, love and grace. When we act in these ways, we're being true image bearers for the creator of the universe. People treating each other well points us back to our creator. In all of creation, only people were made to carry the image of God. This also means God's love for people is unique. God's love for us, his most prized creation, is so powerful it is uncalculable. And forgetting this creates all manner of problems. But, as we've said today, a strong perspective comes from fixing our eyes on the Creator. And if we have this perspective, it changes things. I want to read these verses to you and keep in mind that we're all talking about today about having a strong perspective on the Creator, having our eyes fixed on Him. Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jeremiah 29, 11, very popular verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We just, we just read in these verses about worrying, concern for the future, being in stressful situations, the uncertainties of life, being in lack or in need, the instability that we can all face. All of these things are addressed in these verses. And without our eyes fixed on him, without our eyes fixed on the creator that can oversee and be a part and involved in all of these, it's easy to get consumed and discouraged. It's easy to get trapped in fear and worry. But reminding ourselves that there is a creator and he has made it all possible for us to have a healed and whole relationship with him changes our perspective. It's reasonable and even expected for our trust and confidence to grow as we reflect and observe the incredible work of creation. 
I had a friend of mine that I worked with a number of years ago, and he was just having right about the worst week we can imagine. His mom had recently died, and he was still dealing with the grief from that. His wife had just had a miscarriage, and he had got a cancer diagnosis. It was unbelievable to imagine being in that position with one thing after the other just hitting this poor guy. And as he's talking to me a little bit about it and sharing with how it's going and how his wife's doing and just the different pain that they're experiencing as a family, he turns to me, choking back tears. I'll never forget this. He says, Tom, how do people do this without God? How do people do this without God? And it stuck with me. This was years ago now. Elijah was a baby when I first had this conversation. How do people do this without God? That is a perspective. That is a perspective that I want to have when life is tough. God, you're with me. You're the creator. I don't want to do this alone. I can have confidence in you, that you are working all things together for the greater good, that I can not worry about tomorrow, but just take care of today. Lord, that you do have plans for me that are for good and not for disaster. I want to take those promises seriously, and by having my eyes that the creator is with me helps shift that perspective. Another thought I wanted to share is that God is a creator, and he still creates. In the beginning, we see that he creates it all. And after God has finished, at the end of the sixth day, we read this, Genesis 1:31. then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. I wish that we could experience the very good. But if you know the story of the Bible, you know that despite the very good creation, the first people, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God, and sin enters creation and corrupts what God made good. In some ways, this illustration is like a computer that got a virus. In some ways, it still works, but it's not quite like it's supposed to. Sin is the problem that none of us want, but all of us have, and it separates us from the perfect and holy creator. Isaiah writes it like this in chapter 59. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. And the separation from God is the deepest problem that we have. We need a savior. We are unable to fix this ourselves. Humanity couldn't pay the price. We couldn't repay the debt that we owed, but God, motivated by love, sent his son to become humanity, to be the savior and pay the debt. Now this verse I wanna share with you, we often read it at Christmas time, but it's just as relevant in 90 degree heat. Luke 2 verse 11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This is the greatest news the world could ever hear. This is the message that has been changing lives for 2,000 years. This whole thought, this story of Jesus expanded perfectly in one of my favorite passages from the book of Colossians. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus existed before creation, in eternity with the Father, 
and is supreme over all creation. It was through Jesus that God created everything. And because of his love for us, the pinnacle of creation, the final piece of creation, the ones that bear his image, that he became human. He lived as a man, dwelt among us, taught us a better way to live, gave us the perfect role model, and ultimately died for you and me so that the sins that separated us from God, as we were from the passage from Isaiah, no longer would separate us from him so that we can live forgiven and free. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means, the message of Jesus means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Other translations say a new creation. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. God is still creating. God is still creating, and because of Jesus, his obedience in going to the cross, he is creating new lives in people. We can become a new person, a new creation, letting go of the old self so that it can be done, gone, dead. That means regrets, gone. Shame, gone. Guilt, gone. Because in Christ, new life has begun. He is creating new lives in all who place their faith and trust in Him. And that's not the end of the story. Jesus as he ascended back to heaven, promised to return, that there would be a second coming. The New Testament teaches that Jesus initiated a kingdom. He won the essential victory on the cross, and he will return to fully establish his kingdom, to usher in the eternal kingdom of God. When he will return, no one knows when. Many will try to guess and predict, but no one knows when. But when he does return, it will be to finally establish his eternal kingdom that all who have been created new will be a part of. My hope and the prayer of this church and churches all over the world is that as many people as possible will be included in this kingdom. Some people will reject the message of Jesus, and that's a devastating reality that the Bible teaches. I believe the heart of God and what should be the heart of his church is we have an unwavering pursuit to help people hear, believe, and be transformed by the message of Jesus. This passage that I'm about to read is a particular favorite of Megan's, and it describes what eternity or heaven will be like after Jesus returns. Revelation 21 verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Look, I am creating. I am creating everything new. The one who made the mountains and the oceans is still working. The one who made the stars and the planets is still creating. The one who designed the intricacy of the human eye is still bringing life. The one who set the four seasons in motion is active and rejuvenating the lives of people. We have a creator who loves us so much that he is rescuing his creation and has promised to transform our lives as a new creation while he is making everything new in his eternal kingdom. This, my friends, is the good news of Jesus. A few thoughts for you. When we remember God is the creator, we can live. Three things I thought were helpful. A life of purpose, a life of confidence, and a life of hope. Purpose, confidence, and hope. Purpose because creation points to God having a plan and a purpose. 
He not only initiated creation in the beginning, but he's also actively and working to bring his plans and purposes to pass. Our lives are all included in his plans. Anyone that lives with a healed and restored relationship with God can live knowing that they are a part of something much greater than themselves. Having a creator that deliberately made you gives you and me a true sense of purpose. We can live with purpose because creation was not happenstance, not accidental. It was deliberate, intentional by a creator who loves you. He has plans and purposes and each and every one of us are wrapped up in those purposes. We can also have confidence. The quickest look at creation, the slightest examination of how amazing creation is, builds that confidence that something far greater than we can fathom is in control of this whole thing. Whether you look at the smallest details of creation through a microscope or the largest images with pictures from a telescope, admiring creation and remembering that there is a creator behind it all fills us with true awe and wonder. If he can do this, he can faithfully fulfill his promises and plans in my life. We also talked about hope. All of this leads to hope, not theoretical, not a concept, not a cheesy one-liner bumper sticker, but honest to goodness, real life hope, hope in a savior, hope that he is able to restore. If he can create all of this, and if he's promised to heal my relationship with him, he's still active, he's still at work, then I've always got a good reason for hope. I've seen the most desperate people imaginable find true freedom. I've seen homeless people, people lost in addictions, people completely devastated with mental health problems, people with estranged relationships, the most destructive people finding peace. I've known dangerous people having a total change of heart. When we're focused on our Creator, there is always a reason for hope, and that hope drags us closer to Him. Let's commit to not forgetting our Creator in the midst of life. It's impossible to have a right perspective in life without having our eyes focused on the Creator. But a strong perspective comes from fixing our eyes on Him. God is far greater and more impressive than we could ever imagine. And yet His love, His passion is for people. His love is shown for individuals, even numbering the hairs on our heads. And by remembering God as the Creator, it brings a new balance to things. Then in the middle of worry, stress, and need, we can reflect on creation as a reminder of God's unique power and find comfort. The message of Jesus is the story of the Creator rescuing His creation and creating new life within His people. That there is an eternity where He is committed to fully restore and heal all the brokenness of life. And this all means we can live with an unwavering sense of purpose, confidence, and hope. I've got a couple of questions. If you have pen, paper, grab your phone, something, write these down, maybe something to think about this week, maybe talk about with a friend or spouse. The first one is simply this, how strong is your perspective? How strong is your perspective? Are our eyes daily, hourly fixed on God the Creator? Are we fixed, is our focus on Him? How strong is your perspective? Second question, what would change if you kept focusing on God as the Creator? This is, of course, a, an enormous topic that we've started today. Perhaps it's something that's you know, been discussed that is, comes to your mind when we talk about what would change. Maybe it's something completely different, nothing that's been mentioned today that you think would change if you kept your focus on Him. But what would change if you kept focusing on God as the Creator? Let me read the verse from 2 Corinthians again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Now I strongly believe that if a joke is funny once, it's funny at least 30 times. One of my recurring goofy jokes that I'll say when I'm preaching is if I'm talking about sin or something negative or a bad behavior or something, a bad attitude, I'll often say, lucky for all of us, I've got this all figured out. Just don't ask Megan to verify. As ridiculous as that is, the reason I say it is because I never want to present myself that I'm excluded from this. You're all the terrible people. I'm the one that's got this figured out. My friends, I need a savior as much as anyone else you could possibly imagine. I was on a sinking ship and I needed a savior. And the best thing that's ever happened to me is I put my faith and my trust and my confidence in Jesus and life has never been the same since. If you're here today, I don't know your life story. I don't know the circumstances that brought you to church today. This may be the first time you've been in any church or you may be here every week, I don't know. But you're at that point where you're ready to make that decision to follow Jesus, to put all your faith and your confidence and your trust in Him, to follow Him at the absolute center of your life, the foundation of your life. You're ready to follow Him. Maybe it was something from today. Maybe it was something from the worship songs the team were playing, or maybe it's something of the Bible verses that I was sharing, but you know that you know that the creator of the universe is calling you to join and have a healed and whole relationship with him. And that is only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. When he was on the cross paying the price for the sins that you and I could never ever pay, but then three days later, he conquered the power of sin and death once and for all when he rose from the grave so that you and I could know life in a healed relationship with God and we could spend eternity with Him. I want to ask everyone here, if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads, let's just give some discretion to people around you to have some privacy so that we can focus on what really matters right now. But if you would be honest enough today and you'd be brave enough to say, Tom, you know what? I believe that Jesus is who He says He is. I believe God's for real. I want to start following Him. If you just put your hand up for a moment, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, but I'd love to know who I'm praying for today. Wonderful. Anybody else here? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Wonderful. Anybody else here? I'm not going to do anything that you're going to regret on the drive home. I'd just love to know who I'm praying for today. Anybody else here? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see that. Anybody else? Wonderful. Amen. Thank you. On a pause just for a moment, not to make anyone feel weird, but just to give you the perfect opportunity. If this is it, if this is your moment, I'd love to pray with you. Anybody else here? Wonderful. Thank you. I'm glad we waited for you. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate people making the best decision any of us could ever make. And we're going to pray a prayer together. We do this at the end of all of our services. The words are going to be on the screen. I want to invite everyone here to pray this along together, but especially those of you that put your hand up, that you pray this believing by faith that a prayer like this has the power to start changing everything. So come on, everybody. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. 
Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time, everybody. Let's celebrate with people. Amen.